Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bottom of the fifth inning. Raised down five to two. Two on, nobody out. Wander Franco steps to the plate for his third plate appearance of the night. He drew a walk in the first inning. Took an 0-2 count to 4-2. Drew a walk. Had a fly ball to center field. Pretty well struck. A few steps shy of the warning track. For an out. His third at bat, he takes the first pitch. Sends it bye-bye over the left field wall. Tie ball game. 5-5. The place goes nuts. Wander Franco's dad's in attendance. Going crazy. Gets a curtain call from the fans who are chanting Wander. Wander Franco. You couldn't have scripted it any better. Except the ending of the game. Oh, and by the way, Wander Franco can play some defense too. He ends up going two for four for the night with a walk, two runs, the home run. Also had a double. Grounded out in the ninth inning. Didn't get up in the 11th, and the Rays end up losing nine to five as they lose their seventh game in a row to spoil Wander Franco's debut. Lose their fourth extra inning game in the seven games. And right now they are three and nine in extra innings. A team built on pitching and defense in close games is three and nine in extra innings. That is very concerning. Pitching tonight, not good. Andrew Kittredge was the opener, couldn't get through the first inning. Gives up a walk to Verdugo, gives up a single to Bogarts, had to be pulled two thirds of an inning in. Ryan Yarbrough comes in, gets out of that inning, but only goes two more innings. Couldn't locate anything in the zone. He had a really bad night. Ends up giving up five runs in the third inning. Leaves after two innings. Had over 40 pitches in the third inning and could only get two outs. Hunter Renfro, the big home run, two-run shot to to give it the fifth run there. Former Ray, of course, who got his... American League Championship ring before the game. So congratulations to Hunter Renfro. But Ryan Yarbrough, not very good. Andrew Kitchwood wasn't as what you wanted in the opener. You wanted him at least get through an inning. He couldn't do that. Uh, Ryan Thompson came in. Colin McHugh pitched well. Whistler pitched well. Fireisen pitched well. But then you got to extra innings. And amazingly, the Red Sox get... Two on with one out. No, no outs. So let me let me go through. Actually, let me let me correct myself here on this. So you start the runner on second base, Bobby Dahlbeck. Gets a single from Santana. Now it's first and third. Nobody out. You have a pass ball or a stolen base by Santana. So now it's second and third. Then another ball gets by Zanino. He goes back and gets it. Pete Fairbanks blocked the plate beautifully while receiving the pat or the, the ball from Zanino. And Bobby Dahlbeck's out at the plate. So now it's one out, runner on third. Intentionally walk Verdugo. 
and then you get a strikeout, strikeout, throw him out. Because I don't have no clue why Verdugo is stealing a base in that situation. One out, two strikes on J.D. Martinez, and you're running on that pitch. It's a strike him out, throw him out for Zanino, and the Rays get out of the inning. And you're thinking, the Rays have the runner on second. Time to capitalize. So they get a fly out from Randy Arozarena. I love Randy. But a 3-0 count in the 10th inning, and you take a weak swing at a 3-0 pitch. If you're not swinging all the way for a 3-0 pitch, don't swing. Take the strike. Live for another pitch. A weak swing, pop out to the, the catcher. They then intentionally walk Joey Wendell. Taylor Walls. Or I'm sorry, not Taylor Walls. Brett Phillips, pinch running for Austin Meadows at second. Forgets there's a runner at first base. As G-Man Choi hits the ball to third, which Raphael Devers bobbles, but Brett Phillips goes halfway to third, then goes back to second, and there's Joey Wendell standing there with his hands on his head. Now, I don't know if Brett Phillips would have made it to third on time. Devers bobbled the ball, but was able to get it back fairly quickly and touch the bag. But Brett Phillips spaced out, completely forgot there was a runner on first base. I don't know if that's because intentional walk, you don't pitch anymore, and so you're not thinking about it. I mean, now when they intentionally walk Joey Wendell, it's just you're at first. But inexcusable play by Brett Phillips, a mistake in the 10th inning, and the Rays end up not scoring. So now you go to the 11th. Pete Verbanks pitching a second inning. You probably didn't want him to pitch a second inning, but the problem is, is Kittredge couldn't get through the first. Yarbrough, then your bulk guy, couldn't get you through the third. So now you've used Kittredge and Yarbrough and Thompson and McHugh and Whistler and Fireisen, and you're on to Pete Fairbanks. And all you got left in the bullpen is Springs and Castillo, and you really don't want to, you know, you don't know how long this game's going to go. So you've got Fairbanks pitching a second inning. You got the runner on second. He gives up a single. Then you get a, a, a double by Raphael Devers that goes right through Yandy Diaz's legs at first base. Now, he was in playing even with the bag, and the, the shot was smoked. But it went right between his legs. you got to get a glove on that. Two-run score, and that's pretty much your ball game there. Hunter Renfro gets a hit with the RBI. You get a sack fly from Kiki Hernandez. And now it's 9-5 going to the bottom of the 11th. And the Rays went quietly, three ground outs, and that was the ball game. Seven losses in a row for the Rays now. Pete Fairbanks has three losses this week. I think it was Greg Allman who tweeted his ERA went from 1.04, I think, to like 310 in a week, which is hard to do in June because now you've got enough innings built up. It's hard to raise your ERA, triple it in a week. A bad week for Pete Fairbanks. I don't put the whole loss on him tonight. Like I said, I don't think they wanted to use him a second inning. He had had over 30 pitches. I think they were trying to save the other arms and in bullpen and and you know because you don't know how long that game's going to go and you've got a series and, and et cetera. They didn't have I mean you did have an off day yesterday so everybody should have been rested but now Pete Fairbanks probably won't pitch till this weekend. So you probably don't have him for the next two nights against the Red Sox. Red Sox now a game and a half ahead of the race. But let's get back to Wander Franco. Or Franco, I believe, is actually how it's pronounced. What an impressive debut. Not only the home run, which he has on the first pitch, 
But the the plays that impressed me the most were the walk at the, at the, in his first at bat, and he goes o two, two foul balls to four two. Great plate discipline, and one of the things that I think we're going to see from Wander Franco, he doesn't strike out a lot, and I think that's going to be a nice change in this lineup, and a reason he's got a chance to be successful early here. Because he, he makes contact. He, he's not one to strike out a lot. Now, he's seeing better pitching than he's ever seen in his life. Will he strike out maybe more than he did in the minors? Sure, that's very possible. But he didn't have one tonight. Two for four, a walk, a home run, a double. But there was a couple plays he made in the field that really impressed me. He played third base tonight, batted second. There was the, the play, uh, he had a, he put a double play, and I want to make sure I get the inning right on this one. It was this eighth inning, and Raphael Devers is on second base. Hunter Renfro's up, and it's a hot shot to him. And he immediately goes to, to Devers, who tries to make it to third. Doesn't get the tag down, but, but he ran way out of the baseline. And then as soon as he went by him, he gunned it to first and got Hunter Renfro at first base for a 5-3 double play. They end up reviewing it. He was out at first base. Endeavors was definitely out of out of the baseline. That was such a, a good play by a young kid making his major league debut at, and, and not his natural position either. Now he's played some third base in the minors, but not his natural position. That was a great play. There was another play, and I I, I don't remember which inning it was. It, it was it was in one of the extra innings. And it was a shot to him, and there was the runner going from he wasn't going to be able to get the runner at second. There was a runner at first. So maybe it was an extra innings. It could have been. I don't remember the inning. But he gets the, the ball at third base hit to him. He's not going to be able to get the runner at second, so he's going to first. But he paused for just a second to make sure that runner going from first to second stopped at second and didn't try to take third after he threw it from third base. Paused just enough to make sure the runner had to stop or slow down and then threw it over to first base. A very veteran savvy play. And maybe the runner doesn't go to third. But there's always a chance that he'll try to run behind you since you're pulled off third base at this point and you're moving towards first base as you throw it there. It's just it's a little play that maybe maybe you saw, maybe you didn't see if you watched the game. But it, it shows, you know, his his mentality of the game and, and understanding the game. Um you know, it's it's more than just Okay, throw this ball to first. I mean, he was he was observing the whole field and knowing where everybody is and what I need to do on that play. So I, I was extremely impressed by Wander Franco. The crowd was fantastic. Uh, there was close to 13,000 in the house. Um, I understand the, the ticket sales went up drastically after it announced that Wander was going to be promoted, and the crowd was definitely cheering and loving it. Um, even in, in, you know, introductions was fantastic for Wander. His teammates seemed to love it, and, and if you just saw the look on his face after that home run to tie the game and his teammates' face, it was, uh, was incredible. It, 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 I talked about this yesterday, and, and you know we've tried to think of other debuts that were just as big. And I remember being in Atlanta in 05 for Jeff Francoeur, and, and Jeff Francoeur wasn't quite the prospect that Wander Franco is. I mean, you know, Wander's the number one prospect in baseball for two straight years. That's that's extremely special. But Jeff Francoeur was a local hero in Atlanta. Was a high school two-way athlete, quarterback and baseball player. 
could have gone to Clemson to play football, had offers to go there to be a quarterback, chose to go into baseball instead. The Braves draft him, and he comes up through their farm system. And he's a kid that, you know, Atlanta News, the television news, the newspaper's been writing about since he was in eighth grade. And so he was a local hero. And he got called up and played the second game of a doubleheader against the Cubs in July. And his first at-bat, I, I, I went because I was talking to Andy Freed about this tonight. And I remember his first at-bat. I couldn't remember the catcher's name at the time. But Michael Barrett's a catcher for the Cubs, and he's actually from Atlanta. So he knew of Jeff Francoeur. And the first, the first at-bat, the crowd's going nuts as, as Jeff Francoeur steps to the plate. And Laz Diaz is the home plate umpire. And Michael Barrett's told this story since, and Jeff Francoeur has too, where – Laz is kind of like, what's going on? And Michael Barrett says, hey, local kid making his debut. Laz Diaz, and I, 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 it was fantastic, goes to brush off home plate to give him time to soak in the crowd. And it was the slowest brushing of first place, first, or the home plate you'll ever see. He took his time brushing that plate off to give Jeff a chance just to soak it in. I thought it was, it's a really cool moment. And, and Michael Barrett understood the importance of it, and Laz Diaz then, you know, gave him some time to just to soak it in. Jeff, I, I think he got out the first two times. I don't remember how. And then in the thir- in the eighth inning, might have been his fourth at bat, hits a a three run home run to give them some insurance run, and and, and the, the Braves go on to win that game. But he hits a home run in his his debut, and I remember that how raucous the crowd was and, and great it was. Um, it, it reminded me so much of that tonight and, and the anticipation that Rays fans have had for Wander Franco for several years now. And the kid's 20 years old. He's the first Major League Baseball player born in 2001. Let that sink in if you don't feel old already. He's 20 years old, just turned 20 a couple months ago. And he's making his... But how long have we been talking about? I mean, he's been the, the best prospect in baseball for two years in a row. And he's 20 years old. And he comes up, gets a walk in his first at-bat, scores a run. A home run in his third at-bat. A double in his fourth at-bat. Makes a couple great defensive plays. Had one ball that he dove for at third that just got by him off his glove. I mean, it's not an error. It's, it's a tough play. You know, maybe he, I'm sure he wishes he could have got his glove on that better. But outside of the outcome of the game, I don't know if you could have scripted a much better debut for Wander Franco, given the hype, the circumstances, the team needing a spark. Uh, you know, it, it ended up tying the game after you'd given up five runs in the third. You just couldn't get over that hump, and then in extra innings, the Rays lose again. Like I said, for the fourth time this week in their seven-game losing streak now, and the Red Sox now a game and a half up. So... Game two will be tonight against the Red Sox. Wander Franco, I assume, will be in the lineup tonight. Uh, you don't know if he'll be at third again or maybe they'll play him at short. It sounds like they're just going to kind of space everything out and they're hoping everybody's going to be able to play you know, four to five to six games a week in the infield for now and, and, and try to make it work. Um, you know, Maybe it means a little more rest for G-Man Choi. Maybe Brendan Lau gets a few more days off than he's been having. Um, you know, it, it, it'll be interesting how Kevin Cash and his coaching staff and the organization manages this. Now that you've got 
from Yandi Diaz to G-Man Choi, Joey Wendell, Brendan Lau, Taylor Walls, Wander Franco. And you want all these guys getting time and, and getting reps. So it'll be interesting how the Rays handle this going forward. But a successful debut for Wander Franco despite the outcome. So we'll see what Game 2 has in store for him. Rick Stroud, probably failed to mention this earlier, but he's on vacation for a couple weeks, so I'm Steve Versnick filling in here on Sports Day Tampa Bay. Thank you so much for listening. and hope you're enjoying it. We'll hear from Rick uh, throughout the next – he's actually off for two weeks. Um, The first time in years he's taken any time off this podcast, so – uh, it was about time for him to to just take a little break in, in that. So, But we did record a few things ahead of time, so you'll hear a few of those over the next couple weeks. Uh, maybe we'll get to some mailbag questions tonight. Maybe we won't. We'll see uh, how uh, long I go on, on this, all this other stuff. But an impressive performance by Wander Franco. One of the highlights of, of Rays games I've been to. I was trying to think of some of the, you know, I've, I've been in the market for 10 years now, or actually 11. Wow, time flies. 11 years now. So I've seen a lot of, of great baseball games. I, I would put game four at the Trop two years ago against the Astros. Um, when you had the Kiermaier to Adamas to Darno relay to nail Jose Altuve at the plate was fantastic. Um, I've seen some great pitching performances in, in that. Uh, unfortunately, we haven't seen any World Series games at the Trop. Or I haven't. In 2008, I wasn't here yet, so. But it was really cool tonight. The fans, the support they had. I, by the way, I also love the Randy or Rosarina cheering section out in left field. And I guess that's becoming a thing now uh, where they chant Randy, Randy a lot. And he kind of plays with them and responds to them and reacts to them. And um, you had the G-Man Choi chants going on when he pinch hit tonight. I mean, it's, it, it, when, when, when the fans are engaged like that at the Trop, like they were for Wander and Randy and G-Man and, and that, that – that, the Trop is a, is a fun place to watch a baseball game, and I love hearing it. And the crowd the crowd was fantastic on Tuesday night. So I hope they get another big crowd tonight and tomorrow night as the first place Red Sox in town. By the way, the Red Sox, 7-0 and against the Rays and the Yankees this year. That's why they're in first place right now. Now, that also means they have 15 more games against the Rays and 16 more against the Yankees this year. So they have their work cut out for them, but they're showing why they're in first place. And and they played well tonight. Um, although they you know, a couple base running errors, much like the Rays did. So there was a lot of base running errors tonight. So uh, interesting. I don't know if you saw around baseball. The uh, absurdity has hit uh, historic levels, I suppose, in baseball. If you've seen uh, as the, the umpires are now checking for sticky stuff on pitchers and almost every pitcher that comes off the mound, they're checking. And if you saw in, uh, I don't know if the game was in Philly or Washington tonight, but Joe Girardi had the umps check Max Scherzer several times. And after the game, Joe Girardi said, I've never seen him go to his, his hair and hat as much as he did tonight. And Max Scherzer got fed up with it, threw his hat down, his glove, undid his belt, and threatened to take his pants down. Joe Girardi ends up getting ejected later in the game. Sergio Romo actually took his pants down when being checked. Gave him the hat and glove, took his belt off, and lowered his pants down to about his knees. Now his jersey was covering his underwear and that. But it's... I have no idea what baseball's thinking trying to start this in the middle of a season. I get that they want to get rid of... 
the sticky stuff and, and what's making it so hard on hitters and, and these spin rates that are unbelievable. I, I, I understand that, but how can you start this in the middle of a season like this? How This has to happen in the off season. If you're going to take everything away immediately, you better fix the baseballs and make them consistent for the pitchers or, or give them some help. You know, Max Scherzer mentioned that, you know, he was kind of going to his hair and trying to wipe stuff off and that because he had a pitch that almost hit hit a player inside close to his head beforehand, and he was trying to, you know, get a better grip. And, and you know, he just wants to be able to, you know, know where he's throwing the ball. I mean, Tyler Glass now talked about, you know, he just used, he you know he he just needs a better grip on the baseballs. The ball the balls are slippery, they're inconsistent, and you're just trying to get a grip to know where you're throwing the ball. You don't want to hit a guy, you know. You don't want to lose control of the ball. I mean, and quite frankly, the hitters don't want the pitchers to do that. I I don't know what the answer is in baseball, but what we saw on Tuesday night, and this just started Monday, but really what we saw Tuesday night is making a mockery of it. It's not a good look for baseball. I don't know what they do to fix it. Although, I guess I would like to see the baseballs be better. I mean, if pitchers are complaining that every ball feels different and they're not the same, and it's, it's, it's more the slippery factor of it and getting grips and such, then there's got to be a way to make the balls a lot more consistent. Whatever it is, the umpires have to... Whatever before the game or... I, I you know... I'm far from an expert in this, but what we're seeing now in baseball, and the players are starting to make a mockery of it. Like I said, if you're pulling your pants down out there and getting upset because you're getting checked, although Joe Girardi having them check Scherzer several times, I mean, I, I think part of that was just trying to get in Max's head. He didn't like being checked, period, even though it's required, and so Joe Girardi was going to make him do it more. And you're going to start getting these childish games back and forth too. And, and I get what baseball's trying to do, and I actually support it. You know, let's let's make the game. The pitching has gotten so good. We can sit there and, and, and complain all you want that hitters are, are home run or bust. But part of it is 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 the, the spin rates and the the amount of movement on the balls and the break that these these pitchers can get on balls now. You know, you might as well be home run or bust at this point. Because most likely you're going to strike out anyway. I mean, the pitch, the pitching is nasty. If you follow Pitching Ninja on Twitter, I mean, he overlays fastballs and curveballs, and, and the pitch is coming in the same, and all of a sudden, you know, you've got a two foot break in something. And you're, I mean, how are you supposed to hit that? And, and you know, and so it's no wonder why the games become home run or bust, or you know, strike out or home run or bust. Basically, the pitching has gotten so good. That they need to figure out. So I don't, not sure why they deaden the baseball to do it this year, but they need to figure out something. And not that I want the pitching to be worse, but I, I you've got to have more contact. You got to have more plays. You got to have more balls in motion and, and runners on the base pass. And and you know, I mean, football has done this for years of trying to generate more offense. Baseball needs to figure out how to do the same thing. And and so I, I know what they're trying to do. I just don't – I'm not sure why June 21st was the day to start this where it's supposed to be random checks, but really they checked every pitcher coming off the mound. And then 
you're making, you know, players are making mockeries of it because they don't like it, and managers are amping it up because they're challenging it. And even though he was already checked, and it just it it's a bad look for baseball. So, game uh, six for the Lightning tonight in New York against the Islanders. Eight zero was the victory in game five. The Lightning have scored the last ten goals in this series. Islanders have not scored in four periods. Of course, they were shut out game five, but they didn't score in the third period of game four, which Lightning entered down 3-0, scored two goals, and then was a defenseman blocking a shot at the goal line at the buzzer or two seconds to go away from going to overtime in that game. So actually, I mean, you know, had that gone in, this series could be over already. I expect the Islanders to be desperate tonight. The Lightning figured out how to move through the neutral zone against the Islanders. It started in the third period of game four. It definitely was working, particularly early in game five, as they had odd man rush after odd man rush, breakaway after breakaway against the Islanders, and you don't see that against the Islanders. The Lightning figured something out against them, and the Islanders played poorly too. I'll be curious what adjustments the Islanders now make back to the Lightning because the Lightning were moving through the neutral zone with ease in game five. And so it'll be very interesting tonight to see. Like I said, what I think you'll know early on based on how the Lightning moves through the neutral zone. The passes are always an indication of how well they're playing. But how easily they can move through the neutral zone, or not easily, will tell you a lot too. I think the first goal in this game is going to be very important. The team that scored the first goal in this series has won every game. Although I, I don't necessarily mean that's going to hold true. But the Islanders play better with a lead. Their style, their, the way they control the puck, the way they take away space from you, when they have a lead, they play a lot better. If the Lightning can score early again, and that helped in Game 5. I mean, Steven Samkos getting that goal 45 seconds in did several things. One, it put the Islanders down right away. It gave the Lightning jump, but it also gave Steven Stamkos jump as it was his first goal in the series. And I thought Steven Stamkos in Game 5 played his best game, definitely of the series, and, I, and not just the, from the goal-scoring standpoint. He had two goals. He had the power play goal. But just his skating on the ice and, and the way he was playing on you know, all, his all-around game, that was his best game, definitely in the series, possibly in the playoffs. He played I, I, that whole line of Sorelli, Kalorn, and Stamkos played very well in Game Five. I was very impressed by that. And listen to some of the the national guys who cover the team or cover the league and are covering the series. The fact that the Lightning now, you know, the Palat, Kucherov, and Point line are are doing very well this playoffs and have the whole playoffs. And Braden Point now eight game goal streak is just incredible. But you know what you get from the Gord, Coleman, Goodrow line. Night in and night out, they're consistent. The fourth line's playing very well. Tyler Johnson is skating extremely well this series. They're playing well. And now if you've got the Stamco, Sorelli, and Kalorn line going, pick your poison. How do you want to stop this Lightning team? Because if all four lines are performing and doing what they're supposed to do, that's a tough team to stop. I, I don't think the Islanders can. If If... If all four lines of the Lightning are going to be producing, 
I don't think the Islanders have enough to stop the Lightning. And they have to do it for two straight games because they've got to win two against a Lightning team that has not lost back-to-back games in the playoffs since they got swept out in 2019. So I think the first goal tonight will be extremely important. If the Lightning can get one early in the first, say, 10 minutes, it's going to put a lot of pressure on the Islanders and that fan base up there, potentially the last game at Nassau Coliseum. If you let the Islanders play with the lead, 1-0, 2-1, 3-1 for much of the game, it's going to, it, they're going to have a, a much more spirited effort. They're going to some, – some of what happened in game five was fool's gold a little bit. For instance, take the last goal, the Luke Shen goal. Luke Shen has, is sitting out at the, the point right at the blue line, puts a shot on net, Pollock kind of uses his skate to block it, but he didn't really fully try to block the. He wasn't going to put his body in the way. It's 7 nothing. It's in the third period. The game's over. He just kind of stuck his stake, skate out to block it, and it ended up angling right in the net and gave him their eighth goal. Give it on Luke Shen for putting a shot on net. But had that game been a lot closer, I think you would have seen a different effort from Pollock there trying to block that shot. And, and so, you know, by the time you got to 5 nothing in the second period, and then you get the corn goal to make it 6 nothing. By that point, the Islanders weren't putting max effort into anything. Now, they weren't not trying, but were they, were they going to block every single shot? Were they going to get in, in everybody's way? Were they, were they completing every check and making every hit? No, because part of it is, is you just want to get out of that game and not get hurt. Uh, you know, I said you know, the other night, kudos on the Islanders for not making it chippy in the third period. Sometimes those games get out of hand and, and teams can start taking liberties with each other, and it didn't happen for the most part. You, I mean, you had the little dust-up after Goodrow gave a bad check, a cross-check to Sezikis. But beyond that, the third period was pretty clean. I mean, Barzell had been already sent off for that, and, and that probably protected Barzell more than anything. And, and he is available for Game 6. He was not suspended for that hit, as I predicted. He got a $5,000 fine, the max under the CBA for, for the NHL. So Matt Barzell will be on the ice tonight. I'll be curious if Oliver Wallstrom comes back in. He's been hurt this whole series, but he's available. They haven't put him in the last couple games, but would they make a change just to try to change things up? Are there any other changes that the Islanders may make? And on the Lightning side, we don't have an update yet on Jan Ruda. Or Eric Chernak. Eric Chernak skated in warm-ups for Game 5. was a late scratch for Luke Shen, who came in. Jan Ruda, of course, cross-checked to the face by Matthew Barzell at the end of the second period. Barzell gets the five-minute major, gets sent off with the game misconduct. Ruda doesn't return to the game. John Cooper on Tuesday did not have an update, said he'd have one after morning skate on to later today, or this morning, you know, ahead of Game 6 tonight. So... It'll be interesting if neither one of those guys can go. If, if, if either one can go, then Luke Shen becomes the other one. If both can go, great. If only one of them goes, Luke Shen comes in, just like he did for Game 5. If both are out, then the Lightning have to figure out who their sixth defenseman is. Are you going to bring in Cal Foote? Or Ben Thomas? Or Frederick Clayson? Oh, that would be a four lefties there. Um, you also have Andreas Borgman. 
I mean, you do, you do have a number of defensemen, all with a lot less playoff experience, most of them with none in the NHL. Um, so I, I think that's something to look for. If, if either one of Cherna or Rudak, Ruda cannot go tonight, you, you might have a weaker link on your defensive end for the Lightning. If, 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 one of those two, if only one can go of those two, then Luke Shen comes in, and that's why you have Luke Shen, and he played very well in Game 5 and would expect he'd play well in Game 6. He played well against the Islanders last year in the bubble in that series. So, you know, full confidence in Luke Shen. If you have to go beyond Luke Shen, then it gets a little interesting because you have a, a, a severe lack of experience. I mean, you know, that's one of the things the Lightning are not as deep as they were last year. If you remember, they had, you know, your 7th, 8th, and ninth defenseman last year. You know, you had Kevin Shattenkirk and Zach Bogosian who were in there. So, you know, you had Luke Shen as a backup. You had uh, Braden Coburn with a lot of experience as a backup. You know, your defensive core was a lot deeper than it is now, particularly in, in experience, let's say. You know, I think, I think Cal Foote's a great young defenseman, and I think he's only going to get better as his career goes on. Ben Thomas showed some nice things this year. Um, Andreas Borgman looked fine when he was in, and you know he was pretty much on the taxi squad most of the season. You've got some good defensemen back there, but you didn't have the experience of a Shattenkirk, a Zach Bogosian, who had been in the league, what, 12 years. Hadn't played a playoff game before, but 12 years of NHL experience. Braden Coburn, who's been a playoff hero for the Lightning in certain games, and you know, a, a big-time veteran. You know, so you had so you had a lot more experience when you had injuries last year on the back end. So if if Chernak and Ruta both can't go, it'll be interesting who slots in for the Lightning, and who who would take those extra shifts. Hopefully, both can go. If not, at least one, and then Luke Shen is your seventh defenseman who slots in. So that'll be something to watch in the game tonight. Uh, I would expect Varlamov comes back in goal for the Islanders. Um, no reason to think, I mean, you know, both, both goalies got lit up in game five. I think Varlamov's your starter in this series. And I think you'll go back to him. You know, they pulled him out after three goals, but I don't think it was because he did anything wrong. It was just looking for a spark and trying to change the momentum. And, and, and if you're going to get lit up like that, you might as well rest your starting goalie. So, you know, Varlamov, you know, played less than a period in game five. So he's a little more rested and, Expect him to be ready for the game. So it should be a good one in New York. If the Lightning win, that'll be the last game ever played in Nassau Coliseum for the Islanders. If the Islanders win, then we have Game 7 at Amelie Arena on Friday night. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Before I get out of here tonight, one uh, news. And Rick Stroud, despite the fact he's on vacation, still breaking news, of course. The Bucks signed their first-round draft pick, Joe Tryon, to a four-year contract that includes a club option for a fifth year. Uh, the terms were not revealed by the team, but uh, Rick in the Times learned that 
Deal is $11.171 million, includes a signing bonus of just under $5.5 million, so of a base salary of $660,000 for this coming season. That gradually increases to a little over $2.1 million in 2024. So Joe Tryon, who opted out of his final season at Washington, was their first-round draft pick by the Bucks at 32. The joys of picking or the, the spoils of, of winning the Super Bowl, you get the last pick of the first round. So he'll be on the defensive line there uh, with, for the Bucks with a new deal intact in and uh, taking home a little under $5.5 million for his signing bonus. So congratulations to Do- Joe Tryon for your contract and a club option for the fifth year. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed Wander Franco's debut if you watched that or attended that. Um, it was something uh, to behold, and uh, to, unfortunately the ending didn't end up better for it, but... Uh, if you saw the potential in Wander in tonight's game, I think both defensively and offensively, um, hopefully it just keeps getting bigger and better for Wander from here. So uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Tom Jones is scheduled to join the podcast after the Lightning game. So it'll be a late night of Tom and I talking Lightning. A chance to wrap up the series tonight. It might be a Stanley Cup final preview, or maybe it'll be looking at Game 7 preview. So we'll see. Uh, how the Lightning do tonight? The Montreal Canadiens lead the other series three games to two after they beat Vegas four to one in Vegas. So, game six of that series, where Montreal could wrap it up, will be Thursday night. So, uh, for Rick Stroud, who's on vacation, I'm Steve Versnick. Have a great day, everybody. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.